And good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. I'd like to uh, remind everyone of the few pads that are at the end of each aisle. I'd like to remind everyone of the coffee and donuts at the end as well. Um, I also have uh, several announcements this morning. We'll start off with um, Betty, with our CE. Good morning. My name is Betty Wells. I'm one of the co-chairs of Christian Education, or as the kids know me in Logos, as Miss Betty. Now, everyone, look through your bulletin and check out the insert. We thank you to the many people that are helping with CE this year. We cannot do Sunday school without everybody's help. Now, I was going to ask the kids something, but there aren't a whole lot of kids here today, so I'll ask the adults. How many of you remember your baptisms? Okay, a handful. That's good. Because in the Presbyterian Church, we practice infant baptism, which means that the parents and the congregation make the promise to guide and nurture our children by deed, word, love, and prayer. And I have an opportunity for you to carry out that pledge. CE needs help. We need help in the nursery. We no longer have a paid nursery attendant. We need Two people deep. There aren't a lot of kids, but it's really unfair to make the same small group of parents stay in the nursery week after week after week. You don't have to make a year-long commitment. You can't, we don't need just women. Men are more than welcome. You can do couples. We'll take any age. But we do need, for safety reasons, to have two deep. And we're also looking for pre-K helpers. The nice thing is, again, there's no year-long commitment, there's no curriculum responsibility, and all you need to have is guiding hands and loving arms. If you're able to help in any way with these groups or with any of the rest of the Sunday School, talk to myself, to Ed Johnson, to Craig Kunkel. Remember, it takes a church to raise a child. Thank you, Betty. I'd like to, uh, I believe Joyce has a uh, announcement regarding Penny Pincher. Well, it's here. Penny Pincher sale is this week. Um, drop-off is Tuesday and Wednesday. If majority of you probably have gotten your good news, used to be can't remember now. But in there is a full article about what times that you can drop off your articles and what time is a sale and things like that. I still need a lot of workers. So after church today, I'll be out there waiting for you to sign up. Now, one of the most important traditional things that we do after the coffee hour today is I have to have help to set up all the tables. The tables are in the fellowship hall. I'll have plenty of maps to tell you where the tables go. Um, And um, I think that's it. So thanks for your help today, and thanks for your help this week. And we have two Bible study announcements. Uh, The first one will be from Kim. Good morning. 
So can I just see a raise of hands? How many of you have a bucket list? Okay. <laughs> well, I do. And this one involves suspense, mystery, drama, romance. What more could you want? Well, on Friday mornings, we have something really special that's in my bucket list. So there's a group of ladies that are gathering Friday mornings from 9.30 to 11, and we are watching the miniseries The Bible, and it's, it's going through and introducing the highlights of the Bible, much the same, story, the same way we did the story a couple of years ago, but we're doing it through video and discussion, and it's probably a little more condensed. Maybe the next step is the story. But if you want to come and give yourself an overview of some of the important stories in the Bible in a chronological order, please consider joining us. And thanks to Carrie, she kind of is overseeing it, and so we watch, and then we have a half an hour discussion, so those questions you might have, she's answering, and it's really been awesome. The first, I'm so excited, because I'm actually learning some of the Bible that my kids know, I sadly, a little bit more than I do. So guess what? They're not going to anymore. Get on. So join us. And finally, we have Joe with a Bible study announcement as well. Hi, if you don't know how your faith and science fit together, or if you have an idea, or if they don't fit together, you're welcome to come to a um, morning Bible study at 8.30 in the library. Join Teresa and me. We're starting with the uh, Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel, and uh, we have videos, and we have donuts or bagels, and uh, just plenty of good time. Thank you. All right, unless there's any other announcements. All right, we'll begin worship with the prelude. Thank you.
Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed with guilt and endless pains. Justice now revokes your sentence. Mercy calls you. Break your chains. Receive the light redemption brings. Worship Christ, the heavenly king. Let us worship God. Please join me in prayer. Risen Lord, we thank you that you have given us the gift of community and shown us how to stick together even when forces would separate us. Thank you for those who are here this morning and for those whose presence we miss. Thank you for blessing us with the chance to sing and pray together and for all the hands that have made this worship service possible. The ushers, the organists, the, organists, the greeters, those who folded the bulletins, the preacher, the choir, and most of all, those who have gathered to worship. Thank you for showing us that each has a part to play in praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all do have a part to play in praise, and God has a part to play. Amongst God's many roles is that of forgiving us. So with the confidence of the children of God, let us together use this litany. If we sing with our voices and keep joy out of our hearts, Lord, have mercy on us. If we pray only for what was possible and hope only for what we can see, Lord, have mercy on us. If we have taken your grace for granted and expected instant answers to immediate requests, If we have thought of us waiting on you and never pondered how you wait on us. If we live live our lives in darkness and never pursue your call to be lights in the world. As doves gently settle on a tree, receive the gift of peace. As flames rise from light and warmth, receive the gift of life. As wind blows across the landscape, receive the gracious gift of God's forgiving spirit.
Please be seated, friends. Here we are embarking upon this multi-week series, and the subject, one of the subjects is, of course, light. God missed the message this morning, I think. No, actually, God didn't. Because when it is a little dreary outside, this little light of mine can shine all the brighter. And so both of our scripture readings from this, for this morning from the, the evangelist John and letters attributed to John point to that light, how we can be it and overcome the darkness. I invite you to hear God's word to you. First from 1 John 2. Whoever says, I am in the light, while hating a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go, because the darkness has brought on blindness. And then from the evangelist, well-known scripture verses, here again in this context. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, But those who do not believe in him are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. I invite children to join me up here on these stairs. And we're going to look at some money today. Yeah, money. Oh, man. I got money. Strange money, some of it. Let me bring it down here. First of all, the money that I brought, this is Kenyan money. And this is from the Central Bank of Kenya. And can you read the number on that? What's that number? Do you know? 200. What about this one? The thousand. That's a lot of Kenyan shillings, I'd say, wouldn't you? So if I offered you a $10 bill or a thousand shillings, which one would you rather have? Thousand shillings, yeah, but ten dollars would be worth more than a thousand shillings. Because that's the way in which sometimes money in other countries goes. Sometimes that which looks like a lot isn't as much. 
So actually, $10 would be more than this $1,000 shilling note, which is kind of fascinating that money works that way. Um, matter of fact, if I offered you the $10 or this whole collection of coins, all of these are, these are all the coins from the country of Israel, right? This would probably be worth more. Yeah. Yeah, these are the coins from Israel. There's a bunch of different coins. Pretty interesting. Now, I could offer you $10 or one of these coins. This is interesting. These are handmade coins from the Franklin Mint, and they're called medallions. And you'll see that later in the back, I have special blood gloves to hold them and and look at them, but I thought you might see them here. This is the entire Bible in bronze coins. Each coin, looking at a part of the Bible and their scripture that's inscribed on the back of the coin, you can see the scripture here and then the images that are here. Now, what do you think would be worth more? No, I don't think so. Each one of these coins is worth several hundred, so this would be worth more, right? Yeah. Then I've got this ugly-looking coin here. You can barely make out what's on the coin. It doesn't look like much, right? Which one would you rather have, this one maybe, or this whole book of coins? The whole book of coins. But this coin, this ugly one, is worth more than all this book of coins. Yeah, this, this coin is a bronze phallus or coin from the Emperor Constantine from the year 1059. So this is a very, very ancient coin that it looks terrible, but it's really worth something of value because of how old it is. Sometimes we just don't know the value of things. And yet, the most valuable thing that's up here in the sanctuary in the front are all of you, right? Each of you is the most valuable thing. You are so much worth more than any of these fancy coins, whether they're old and historic or these others. But I thought I might leave this book up here because people might want to browse through it at the end of worship. Would that be a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. But to know that you are so valuable to God. Let's give thanks to God for that. Lord God, we thank you that our most treasured possessions are really people. People that we love people that love us. Help us to value the people you give to us as the important treasure they are to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you have a great time in Sunday school today. Oh, there's one fell out. Okay. Thank you.
Psalm 27 is one of my favorite psalms. I have read it frequently uh, in the hospital uh, as people have done battle with illness because I'm convinced that not all the battles that we fight are on some battlefield somewhere else, but sometimes they are within. The Lord is my light and my salvation. What shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of what shall I be afraid? When this evil assails me to devour my flesh, my adversary and foe shall at last stumble and fall. Though this army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though this war rises up within me, I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that shall I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire the Lord's temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Hear, O Lord, when I cry. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off or forsake me, O God of my salvation. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path, even in the face of this enemy. Do not give me up to the will of this adversary. For I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word of the Lord.
Psalm 27. And thanks for being there with your saxophone, Steve. Look forward to even tomorrow evening. Um, Steve and Ashley have been pulling together some people who want to learn to sing. And that happens on Monday nights around 6.30 here in this room. Now we turn to the New Testament to read part of the history book of that section of the Bible from the book of Acts. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I don't know if some of you um, watched the special on the Roosevelt's this week. It's a long series. It's wonderfully done. And if you did, then I thought maybe I would begin this morning with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, who said, If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit much for a month. There's certainly more to the series than that, but I thought that said something about the subject of encouragement as we embark on a series of Sundays looking generally at the theme, Encouragement to be Light. If Ken Burns and the Roosevelt's is not your cup of tea, then maybe you'd prefer remembering Joan Rivers. And I quote her, I hate housework. You make the beds, you do the dishes, And six months later, you have to start all over again. (laughs) Now, that's encouragement. Or William Arthur Ward. He said, flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me. And I will not forget you. And if you are a teacher and you have marked your papers to hand out tomorrow, you might want to relook at them and make sure there's a note of encouragement, especially on the grades that are not so wonderful. When we say we're encouraging another person, what does that mean? Are we encouraging someone when we yell at them or tell them they're not going to mount to much in life? I mean, we might want to shock them into reality, but how effective is that approach, really? Is being critical a sign of our encouragement? In the psychedelic 60s, people shared their lives and possessions in a communal living craze. Today, we're self-sufficient and we don't want to depend on anyone else. But could it be that our souls are designed for sharing and that our hearts and minds need continual encouragement of others to be kind and faithful and loving and helpful? Tune in, turn on, drop out. So said Timothy Leary. Harvard professor, hippie guru, and psychedelic Pied Piper. In response, kids danced to his tune and fled cities, fled colleges, fled convention, fled their families to form a network of relationships popularly called communes. These youth pooled money and labor and dreams to purchase land and old farms in the back-to-the-land movement. Then they moved in together and started over. From Maine to Montana to the Sierra Nevadas, in gatherings, dozens of hundreds of collectives were built on an alternative vision of modern living that were created from youthful hopes and ideals of a counterculture in the 1960s. Communes where every possession was held in common, were prevalent during this era. Hair was long, clothes were loud, streets were riotous, 
Music was rock, feet were sandaled, and beards and beads were plentiful. It's the end of civilization as we know it. That's what parents said. To which Bob Dylan, the high priest of the 1960s countercultural reformation, intoned, Come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly changing. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend a hand for the times they are a-changing. It was a generation gap that was wide and large. And it almost seems that in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we have the backdrop for this movement in the 1960s. Here and in other passages, the idea of a community pooling its resources and redistributing them so that none would be in need is not an idea that began with Marx and Engels. But before we act shocked at the New Testament community, recall for a moment that in the Bible, this is not an idea that began in the New Testament. The idea of community whose leader is God and whose resources are to be shared equally by all is an idea expressed in the Old Testament, especially in the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy. It's as found as early as the third millennium in the temple-run city-states of Sumeria. In those cities, all of the grain was brought to the temple and redistributed to the people by the members of the priesthood. The idea was that God is the landowner of all the earth, and so all the produce of the earth belongs to God. Food offerings are merely returning to God, what is the best of the produce of God's fields, God's orchards, and God's flocks. Then access to shared resources is the right of all of God's people. And so in Deuteronomy 15.4, God commands that there will, however, be no one in need among you because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. As children of God, we inherit the earth and its bounty, and no one of us more than any other inherits. Now, Old Testament law had mechanisms to assure that the poor would not be totally disinherited in this scheme of things. The land given by divine lot to each of the tribes was never to be sold. This approach suggested that the poor would at least have a right to farm the land or glean from the land of others during a especially hard year. Specific laws mandating that the poor would be allowed to glean in fields and orchards provided a safety net. At that time, they didn't have SSI and some of the other ways in which people get some safety net funds today. Loans to the poor were to be made without asking for collateral, and they were not to be charged any interest. Read about it, Deuteronomy 24. There was also a tradition of redemption for those who fell into debt. Once 
nearest kin called the Goel, or Redeemer. It just fascinates me. I can't prove this. But it looks like Goel was later translated as jail. Had the social responsibility, the jail, the Goel did, to pay one's debts or buy one out of debt servitude so that dire poverty didn't affect an entire family. And then they had the laws of Jubilee, where every seven years everything was kind of turned around. The idea that everyone lives under God's protection and survives because of God's bounty was intended to place everyone on an even footing regard to possessions and a property. And so with many ideals, there is no certainty that this was ever realized in ancient Israel. In Luke's gospel, Jesus continually challenges his followers to sell what they have and give the proceeds to the poor. This implies that the old covenant law and the laws of Jubilee were not being practiced, at least not in Israel at this time. If they were, theoretically, there would be no poor. But by the time of the early church, when communities of Christians were forming as permanent additions to the major population centers, concerns for the poor may have begun to take on more importance with regard to divestiture than to freedom to leave all and to follow. It also seems clear that simple divestiture was not the goal. Our passage for today, as well as Acts 2, describe early Christians divesting themselves of their belongings, stating that they had all things in common, that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds, but that the proceeds were to go to all and to any who has need. I mean, this divestiture was apparently voluntary, as is illustrated by the two example stories that follow in this reading. We didn't read the second one. It doesn't sound too good, by the way. We read the end of the first one at the end of this chapter. That's where a Joseph, a Cypriot Levite, whom the apostles later rename Barnabas, and who will become a major supporter of Paul later on throughout the book of Acts, sells some property and gives the money to the disciples. He doesn't sell everything he owns, nor is it suggested that he's required to. It is enough, apparently, that he sold a field, donated the proceeds. Now, Barnabas will be a figure who emerges throughout this book of Acts. He didn't receive the name and title Son of Encouragement for nothing. What he did was to continually encourage others in their faithfulness to be followers of Jesus And he encouraged them to be lights in a dark world and even to share their resources. As good as Barnabas was, I think we sometimes, even in the church, just choose the wrong approach. For instance, successful Native American investment plans emphasize families and not individuals. This is the same strategy that seemed to be helpful here in Acts. A blue-chip investment firm I will not name 
flailed and flopped recently when it flew one of its blue suits from the high-rise canyons of Boston to the mesas of the Navajo Nation to explain to a group of Arizona Navajos that they should invest for their old age. Hoping to hook the 95 Navajos gathered, he started by asking how many of them had heard of Willard Scott. None had. The representative explained that Willard Scott was a former weatherman for the Today Show who often featured people on their 100th birthday. You know what, he said? More people are living to be 100. The Navajos, no response. On the reservation, people die younger than the general population of our country. This pitch never crossed the plate. Undaunted, this man persevered by telling them about health consciousness and New Year's resolutions to lose weight. Blank stares. Navajos do not make New Year's resolutions. Navajos do not have health clubs. They are not obsessed with their weight. So it went. What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Clearly, Boston had very little to do with Gallup, New Mexico. This Bostonian wasn't able to cross the cultural divide in this low-income population where they don't even have words for savings or retirement in the Navajo language. A local resident explains for the Navajo, money is different It's there to be spent. If you have some, you help your family. Later, the tribal offices set up their own investment team led by a 24-year-old investment-savvy Navajo who had graduated from the University of Arizona. This time, the team was able to get the pitch into the strike zone and help the people hit the ball. They emphasized family and helping others. We don't target individuals very well. You know, here on the reservation, we have 70% unemployment. How do you expect us to save much? Blue blood Bostonian Brahmin investment firms didn't get it. Of course, not everyone can do this. Taking the short view is tough enough for most folks trying to make ends meet, pay mortgages, finance cars, fund orthodontics. I mean, the long view is an idea many folks never think of, let alone dream about. Investing for the long term is a hard sell to much of America. It's a hard sell for the church. But the early church gave it a shot. They invested together. They agreed to pool their resources, and no one claimed private ownership of possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. They sacrificed. They sold what they had. Land, houses, turned it over to the group, and as a result, no one lacked, and they worked together. They invested themselves with social They created community. They took 
chances, and there was not a needy person among them. Now, to most of the world, we're in a period of prosperity. Stock market's been up this week. Some are convinced, though, that scores can be even, not by helping everyone grow, but by making sure that we can reduce everyone to poverty. Isn't that the general approach of ISIS? Actually, we know this world is filled with need. Some need money. Some need love. Some people just need a little hope. Some need joy. Some need solace. Others need prayer. That's bear market news. But we're all part of a bull market church. Needy people have a lot to give. The church is a mutual funding company eager to provide encouragement. Need. Some lack companionship because they're widowed and lonely. I will tell you this at this service, but I didn't want to tell you at the first. It was very fascinating to watch. One of our members, who's a recent widow, sat about the fifth row back on this side. And two other women, realizing she was a recent widow, got up out of their seats at different parts of the sanctuary and came and sat on her right and on her left so she wouldn't be alone. And they invested themselves in her care. Need. Some come to church because they hurt inside. Invest your ear for a little of their mouth time. Need. Some lack heat or food or clothes or help from a doctor. Investment, sink some money into mission. Need, out of hand, kids need a helping hand. Investment, invest yourself, whether it's Sunday school or youth programming or tutoring or mentoring somewhere. The church is an investment club of sorts where our capital of encouragement is worth more than our money. We invest our time, our energy, our talents, our hopes, and our lives because Jesus invested his. Matter of fact, this isn't the Navajo, but we might call this the Nazarene Investment Club. Some of you are probably familiar with Nordstrom uh, Department Store. Uh, We don't have a Nordstrom's in Rochester, at least I haven't heard about one. It's a legendary uh, business in business circles, and it's a leader in customer service for large department store chains. And this excellent is, um, is really reflected in their rising profits. Betsy Sanders, an executive with Nordstrom, tells of a meeting that occurred recently between the executives of Nordstrom and J.C. Penney Company. J.C. Penney executives were eager to learn about Nordstrom's secrets for success because J.C. Penney has been having some problems making a profit in their stores. Imagine their surprise 
when a Nordstrom executive pointed them to the business book that they use and require each one of their executives to read. It is a book written over a hundred years ago by J.C. Penny. <laughs> Nordstrom had taken Penny's recipe for success and followed it faithfully. The J.C. Penny executive surely did some real serious soul searching after the meeting because it couldn't have been clear that they had not been living up to their founders' beliefs. And when you think about our founders' beliefs and whether we have lived up to them, you don't know whether to laugh or to cry. We care about needy people because Christ once cared for us when we were needy. And our task is to find other needy souls and to show them the love of Christ. That is what our founder intended. This past week, I read some work by Bruce Watson. Here's what he wrote. Four years ago, I was sitting in my cab in front of a Philadelphia hotel and praying. And this particular week, my business had been extremely slow, and I was wondering where I was going to get the $60 to pay for my weekly rental of the cab, place to place. I could lose the cab. I could lose it for the day and lose my livelihood. And if I didn't come up with some money immediately, I wasn't going to be able to call on my clients. Just then, a young woman got into the cab and said, I know it will cost $25 for my ride, but it looks like you're going the direction I'm going, but I can only afford to pay you 15 I work for a charity, and that's all they've given me for my cab fare. And Bruce says, I thought about it for a minute. I'm probably going to lose this cab anyway. Why not help someone else have a good day? And I said, fine. At her destination, the woman got out, paid her $15 cab fare, and then she reached into her purse and laid a $100 bill next to me on the seat. The $15 fare was the charity's money, she said. This is my own. Somehow God's told me that you need it. And with that, she was gone. And I thank God for providing for my daily needs. She had provided encouragement for one she did not know. And God asks us to provide encouragement, especially for the ones we know. We do it as we invest in kindness, generosity, gentleness, hope, and help, he writes. As we encourage one another, we make this world a brighter place because we are aware that anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is, in fact, still in darkness the one who loves his brother lives in the light. Maybe I show my age when I tell you about this. Um, renowned guitarist uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan was killed in a helicopter crash in the summer of 1990. And his family requested that Amazing Grace be sung at his funeral service. Um, and I should also point out to you that, or admit, that when I was in Austin, Texas earlier this spring, 
I did carve out an extra half hour to go look at the statue of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Reflecting Vaughan's standing in the music community, Bonnie Raitt and Stevie Wonder and Jackson Brown were honored to lead those gathered in singing the hymn Amazing Grace. The crowd knew the words of the first verse. But then they stopped singing and this trio had to sing without accompaniment and they finished singing Amazing Grace. I remember as a young teenager listening to um, Stevie Wonder and humming fingertips. Stevie Wonder, as you know, is blind. And there he was singing, I once was blind, but now I see. And the hymns sing to ring true even for this blind performer. It is amazing grace. Great grace, as we read about it in our text from Acts. St. Vincent de Paul ran an orphanage in Paris during the first half of the 17th century. And on one winter day, he opened the front gate to find an abandoned infant lying in the snow. He brought this bundled baby back into the warmth of the room where he was meeting with a number of wealthy women who had helped to support the orphanage. And naturally, St. Vincent asked them what he should do with this tiny, frail child. And one of the women suggested that perhaps God intended for the baby to die as punishment for the sins of the mother. And appalled at this, St. Vincent angrily said, when God wants dying done for sin, he sends his own son to do it. That is the light we need to have. Touching and overwhelming. And it's worth devoting the whole of our lives to being that kind of light in a world that knows too much of darkness. And if you think so too, there's a prayer we can use in our bulletin today. Lord Jesus Christ, you were rich, yet for our sakes you became poor, so that through your poverty we might become rich. Accept this offering as a token of our gratitude for all you have done. Lord God, as mundane as it seems to us, we pause today to thank you for this place we have to worship you. We easily take this building for granted, along with the staff and volunteers that keep our congregation focused on mission. We know that there are lights and plumbing and candles. They too are employed in mission. And when we gather in these spaces, we find confidence to change and carry your love to a world that so needs affection. So we ask that you might bless us, this offering, your church, and the beauty of the world that you gave to us to enjoy. Amen.
Please be seated, friends. We have a number of wonderful prayer requests today. Jeanette Henderson, we wish you Godspeed on your flight to Scotland, and we give thanks and praise for a peaceful election and whatever highlights and rollout that might come from that, right? We're also in prayer, as we have been every week, for all our leaders and all our nations, that God's light might shine amongst them and that we might discern God's will for our ways. Mary Lou Cook, we are so thankful that you were able to get some word about Robert and that he is back safely at the Highlands Living Center. Anything new to share with us this morning, my dear? We're good? Okay. Thank you, choir, for the support and sustenance and encouragement that you gave to her in that time of need. He is back at the Highlands and doing, doing more stably. Lou and Lynn Koss, we're in prayer with you and with your friend as her husband has just experienced a stroke, and you know all too well what that road is like. So we ask for God's healing graces for your friend. And we also give thanks and praise for Nancy Lauterbach being amongst us this morning. It's a joy to see you fighting your cancer with courage and strength and determination and a community that's pulling for you. And a great family, too. Yeah. Give thanks and praise. And we're thankful for the number of guests that are interspersed amongst us this morning. Friends new and old. Don't the Girl Scouts have a song about that somewhere? Welcome amongst us. Let us know how to contact you. You can do so in the pew pads. Please join me in prayer, friends. God, our gracious host, whose servants sought to encourage others, we join the throng who sing your praises. We stand before your judgment seat, redeemed through faith in Christ our Savior. We gather as sisters and brothers of your covenant family, called by Christ to avoid sin and equipped to follow his example in virtuous living. You provide us with mercy and your grace gives us hope. We give thanks for those moments when we are made aware of your kindness. You temper your judgment with patience. Our baptism is a sign that we are heirs of the covenant, and all our senses are made aware of your grace when we dine with you at the communion table. We give thanks for Christ Jesus, whose spirit abides with us constantly. Even when we would hide from you, we are not left alone. We're assured of your presence when we face danger whether or not the fight is on the battlefield or with a cancer treatment. You give us wisdom that keeps us from falling. We dwell with a confidence that we receive by Christ's call. O source of the grace that continues to refresh us, make known your will in the decisions that face us. Surrounded by such a significant witness, may we not shrink from our commitment to serve and to encourage others. We confess anew that in you alone abides our hope of salvation. And with Christ to guide us, we can set forth boldly on our tasks. God of grace, uplift those among us who seek your face and hear us when we pray as our Savior taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, if you want to be a light to the world, you could start by smiling a little. We know that the world needs encouragement, and when you leave this place, it would not be just kind of nice if you looked a little more redeemed. <laughs> Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and the life everlasting. Amen.